You're listening to Made for Living Well, episode number 245. And today we're talking with a health behavior change specialist, all on what it takes to actually create the change you've been looking for. This is part two and our newest series of the new year on Health Reimagined. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. Now, I know common thought in the health space says that you have to go outside of yourself to find it, that health isn't another system or another program or by working harder. But the truth is health is inside of you. I know it sounds crazy and you might not believe me yet, but if you follow along in the podcast, you'll quickly learn that health is not some external thing that you have to try to find, but it's a part of who you are. All of us were made for living well. It's not our body's fault, but our body's reaction to what we perceive in the world around us. And today we're going to start talking about that as we talk with a behavior change specialist who is going to help us on this journey of understanding what does it actually take to create change and why are so many of us struggling in the health space? Like, I know you want it. The question is, how do you get it? And how does it stick around for life? That's what we're talking about today on the podcast, and I'm super pumped to have you here because this is part two and the first series that I'm launching this year called Health Reimagined. It's this idea that we all want health, we desire it on some level, but what is it going to take to get there? The truth is, it's got to be breaking up with the old patterns of the health space and stepping into a new definition. Now, last week, we talked all about that new definition on the first episode of this podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to go listen to that one right after you get off of this one. We also talked about your two minds in that podcast, and I think that's really fascinating to work because when you can understand that you have more than one aspect to your mind and that they're both working to do different things, you can start to learn how to change how your mind works to change how your biology responds. I won't give you any more details to that, not to spoil it, but you're going to have to go check it out in episode number 244. Now, if you want to know more about the two minds or more about what we're talking about today on the show about habits and goals and changing your mindset to really create the change you're looking for, check out thelivingwell.com. I have all kinds of resources over there where you can learn more, dive in, and check out one of the programs that we have going on over there to help you create the change you're looking for. Now, it's a new year, and there's still time, and there's like five nourish planners left. So if you want a nourish planner, they're almost gone. Head on over to the Living Well and grab one of those because we're going to be using it all year long to create the change you've been looking for. Okay, I think that's it for my announcements, but I do want to welcome to today's guest. Her name is Heather McKee. She has a PhD in weight loss behavior change psychology from the University of Birmingham, where she has focused her research on how to set goals that lead to lasting change and discover the key strategies for long-term healthy lifestyle success. I mean, we all want that, right? And she does this to help build strategies to help people stick with their goals without having to resort to dieting. Again, just another person in this space realizing that the scope of dieting isn't working, but there has to be something that does. And Dr. Heather McKee is coming on the show to share more about that information. 
And you're going to want to check out Dr. McKee after the show. You can find out all of her information, again, at the show notes, or you can head to bitesizedhabits.co to learn more and get a free five-day program that she put out on how to create habits that stick. So make sure you check that out after the show. But for now, let's welcome Dr. McKee to the show. Welcome to the show, Heather. Um, It's an honor to have you on and to speak about a subject that I am very passionate about as well. And I think it's a great subject to kick off the new year. So thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to talk to you about this. And I feel like our our views and our values are very much aligned. So I'm excited to um, chat more. Yeah, I think so too. And honestly, like in the health space, it just feels so heavy. Like, you know, I think everyone is searching for that answer and looking for Mm -hmm. that go-to or that system or, you know, setting resolutions. Like people want to be healthy, but there's this massive stumbling block of there's the people who want to be healthy. They're trying to create a plan to do that. But the people who actually achieve that on the other side is, is really a small number. What is your take on this of like, why can't people actually achieve what it is that they set out to do? Yeah. So interesting. I, I, well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, and so I spent 10 years in university, <laughs> like an absolute nerd. Um, but um, I would say, Often people start out with the wrong, uh, doing it for the not necessarily the the right reasons. So you know, we we set out to um, you know achieve a certain number on a scale, or be a certain gene size, or maybe achieve a certain number on our paychecks, or you know a certain number of social media likes, or or any of those things. And and those are all like extrinsic motivators. So they might motivate us short term, but actually. And um, once we get there, the joy of being there is it tends to be quite fleeting. And then those are the type of goals that we tend to then put ourselves under unnecessary pressure to step it up, step it up, step it up. And if we haven't achieved those goals, we often think, well, what's the point anyway? You know, is it really worthwhile after, you know, going through all this pain if I'm not even getting there? Um, so in psychology are called extrinsic goals. Um, but on the other hand, intrinsic goals. So goals that are are more internalized or are personally meaningful to us, those are the goals that people stick with long-term. And inward, intrinsic motivation translates to the word inward um, in Latin, which means goods for the soul. Mm. And so goods for the soul, I just love that word, yeah, um, exactly. that phrase, because it's like you internalize those yeah. goals. So being healthy to you isn't about achieving size or a number on the scales or or any of those things. It's about you know, who you wish to be in the world, who do you represent, the contribution you make. Mm-hmm. And so instead of it being like, you know, you're going out for a run to get numbers on your fitness tracker, if you can share it online, it's about actually you go out for running because of what it gives you back in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Like you run because it gives you energy, because it allows you to make a better contribution at work, to your family, to community, to whatever it happens to be. And so I always say to people when they start out on any kind of health lifestyle change or health kick or whatever they want to call it I always say start with why mm-hmm. ask yourself why enough times and you'll get to that inner intrinsic motivation that kind of true north star that will really help support you in the trenches because it's not you know that number that's going to keep you going long term it's knowing what you're doing is actually contributing to your life it's part of who you wish to be of your identity Mm. it's part like you know why do something that's inconsistent with who you want to be and how you want to feel in the world and those that focus on their why that they focus on that true value they get from being healthy those are the ones that we've seen in studies 
time and time again that tend to maintain their habits long-term. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned identity because really that's what health is supposed to be. It's just supposed to be an Mm. expression of who we are, but like, how does someone actually set their identity? Because I feel like a lot of times people are identifying with the thing that they hate about themselves and they can't get rid of it because it's part of their identity. You know, like, it's like, Mm. you know, they call themselves like the fat girl or, you know, like they, they say these things, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly to themselves and they form their identity around things that are holding them back. Like, do you believe that in some sense? And how do we change Mm. our identity? It's just so true. I love that you brought this up because it's something that so many people struggle with. Um, and it's interesting because one of my um, studies in my research, we looked at those that maintained a significant weight loss for, you know, five, 10 years versus those that had maintained it for a while and then fell off track. And, and we were looking at, well, what were the differences between those people? Why were the maintainers so successful and why did, you know, other people fall off track? And it was this identity piece. Those that maintain themselves, they stopped thinking about themselves as, you know, someone who was overweight or someone that could never follow through with their goals. They stopped creating that identity around failure. And they started to say, well, I am someone that chooses a healthy lifestyle, even before they believed it. So they thought about, you know, what does someone who has a healthy lifestyle do? And and this is something that I would ask, you know, listeners to think about, you know, like if you are going to be living your healthiest life, what does that look like on a daily basis? And um, I'm involved with this research group and they call functional imagery training. And, this, and it's one of the most effective methodologies um, in the last couple of years for helping people focus on um, being successful at, at weight loss long term. And, and basically what it is, it's about visualizing your future self. You know, what is your future self eating in the morning? What is your future self um, what activities do they do in the day? How does your future self speak to themselves? That's such a huge piece. Mm-hmm. And what we found in those maintainers was that they actually had moved their voice from this inner drill sergeant, this inner critic, more towards this inner coach and more towards you can be someone who has a healthy lifestyle. You can be this person. And so instead of being someone who runs, they're a runner. They started to think of themselves as a runner. Instead of someone who eats healthy some of the time, they're someone who enjoys vegetables. Mm-hmm. So they started to create these identities around where they wanted their future self to be. And the more that they did that, the more they started to live into those identities. Mm-hmm. And something I always say is, you know, we all want to be our future self's best friend. Mm-hmm. And so we need to think about, well, who is this future healthy self? What do they do on a daily basis? And how can I help them now, right now? And the more that we do that, the more that we repeat them. And I know that this is something you speak to, Lexi, you know, our thoughts are habits too. But the more we start to think about our future self, the more we start to involve ourselves in identity, the more likely we are to actually take actions that are consistent what matters most. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's powerful stuff. And I think sometimes, you know, like, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's a trust issue with ourselves or if we've just been so um, conditioned to believe that it's an external thing. Like what, why are we so fixated or fascinated on a diet or a resolution as if, as if a system is going to be our answer? Like, it's almost like we fear ourselves or don't trust ourselves enough (laughs) that we think like, okay, it can't be through myself. It has to be through something else. Like, where's that disconnect? And how do we create that trust with ourselves to realize like, no, this is going to happen internally. It's, it's not a system. Yeah. I think it's such an interesting question is it because I talk to a lot of people about this because like 
you know, after spending 10 years of kind of studying weight loss psychology, one of the biggest conclusions we know is that diets are ineffective at long-term right. um, weight maintenance. And in fact, they're, they're the most likely thing that's going to get you to fail. And, and, and so I often say to people, don't trust me, trust the research, because that's what I trust, you know. And, and don't trust, don't even worry about trust yourself to start with, just trust the research, you know, and that's why, that's why I started my business, why I started this, because I wanted to translate what we knew in the research was most effective um, into ways to help people, um, you know, change your habits and sustain this. And, and it is hard because, you know, when we fail time and time again, those failures loom larger and, and you know, our brain attends to more negativity negative thoughts than positive thoughts. It's our negativity bias. It's inherent. It's what helped us thrive and survive for so long. The most anxious people were the ones that survived, you know, but we're no longer running from saber-toothed tigers. And so mm. that anxiety isn't always serving us in the best way. Um, and unfortunately, we do bias ourselves to what we didn't do rather than what we did. Mm. And and so again, you know, the you know, one third of the brain structure is fixed, but two thirds of it are malleable and it's based on the thoughts and the actions we repeat the most. Mm. And so if we start, you know, to try and reframe our brain, if we start to try and think about what are those thoughts and actions that we can repeat the most, if we start to link in with what what are what the evidence base is saying, you know, we prove to ourselves through small actions, tiny actions, that we can have success. The problem is that the media sells us this dream of success, that it's some sort of overnight transformation. Mm -hmm. But actually what we know from the research is the faster that changes occur, the less likely they are to last. Mm -hmm. Yet we're all kind of looking for that silver bullet, that secret sauce that will happen overnight. And I think the key is actually, you know, I say there's three words that are so necessary to long-term healthy habit maintenance and they're patience, pace and persistence mm. and that is what's going to get you um the long-term success and it's not sexy and it's not fun and it's not you know exciting like you know some sort of diet where you put lemon juice and and uh, spice in it in a cup and just drink that and and I, and I like you know I I I don't blame people for wanting to have that silver bullet because that would be so it wouldn't it be wonderful it would be so easy if we could just take care of ourselves in that way but unfortunately health is a lot more complex than that and with that over you know we make 250 food related decisions a day Mm. and you know there's so much complexities around that and then there's a huge huge piece here which is our relationship with ourselves you know food isn't just fuel it's so much more it's happiness it's social connection it's our personal relationship with ourselves and I I think one of the key elements of all of this like you say is that building that trust Mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen overnight you know that happens through proving to yourself through small wins that you are the type of person that follows through with your goals and reminding yourself instead of berating yourself of oh I didn't drink enough water today or I only did you know, five push-ups when I said I'm doing 10, you know, five is more than sitting on the couch. You know, drinking one glass of water is more than drinking none. And so we actually need to look at our successes more than our failures and mm. and then really kind of hone in and focus on them. And then one of the things I get to do, get people to do on my course at the start is actually write down that negative kind of self-talk that they have with themselves. That, you know, we all know that rhetoric, that that kind of conversation we have with ourselves every day. And actually reframe it into positive truths because it's very, very easy for us to think about the negative, but it's not so easy to think about the positive. So it's more of an intellectual challenge to actually think, well, what's true in this moment? Mm. Like I'm saying, you know, like 
oh, I didn't drink enough water. But yet you did drink some and you remembered to think about not having enough. Mm -hmm. What can you do next time to improve? What can you do next time to have more water? What are the things that you could do? You know, can you put water in the environment? Can you fill up a glass and put it in the different rooms? Can you have it as a cue? There's, There's a lot to be done. But the key here is that you're proving to yourself through small wins that you care. And people always say, well, Heather, geez, I failed on so many diets time and time again. You know, how can I kind of sum the motivation and muster the willpower to start again and again? And I think, you know, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're listening to this, the fact that you're showing up shows that you care. There is something in true and inherent inside of you that shows that you truly care for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's all about kind of locking into those layers and then building the skills, the knowledge and the confidence to then be able to execute on that day to day. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about willpower because I think a lot of us start out this year, like with this big high that we have all this willpower that we could, you know, accomplish what we set out to do, but willpower isn't really a great asset in the scope of achieving what it is that you set out to achieve. Can you just explain a little bit more about willpower and maybe why it's not quite as powerful as we think, but also how can we use willpower? Because it does serve a purpose. Um, yeah, no, I love that question, Lexa. So yes, yeah, it's an intelligent question. And like, yeah, even I find myself sometimes relying on willpower and I have to kind of check myself and say, wait a second, you know, that's, that's not going to be helpful. So the interesting thing about willpower and especially around this time of year, you know, we're like, right, I'm going to like have no sugar. I'm going to pretend alcohol. I'm going to run every day. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, be super productive at work. I'm going to save more. I'm going to be nice to my other half. You know, the more we add in, actually, the more we take away from our focal goal. It's a concept in psychology known as goal dilution. Mm-hmm. So the more we add in, the more we take away. And the, the reason being is because willpower is like a muscle. So if we train, you know, um, let's say I train my right leg in the gym for the next week. By the end of the week, I won't be able to even walk. You know, if I go to the gym every day and train that with a heavy weight, but yet that's what we do this time of year. That's what the pressure we put under ourselves, ourselves under. But if I go once a week for the next seven weeks, actually that leg's going to get stronger over time because I'm giving myself adequate rest and recovery. And that's what's so important about willpower is that in order to be able to sustain our willpower, we need to only use it in small amounts. And actually in studies, they found um, time and time again that those that are actually most successful at sticking to their habits were those that actually didn't rely on their willpower. They actually relied on what I like to call their skill power. Mm. So they relied on things like setting up their environment to make the healthier choice, easier choice. They relied on actually not putting themselves under pressure to do everything at once, but actually to start small. And I, and I say this to people, when you're starting out in your healthy habit journey, it's not about moving mountains. It's actually about throwing stones mm. or pebbles even. Um, and, and so like, what's that first pebble for you? What's the mm. smallest, tiniest? And I say almost laughably small step that you can take on your healthy habit journey. So say it is that, you know, you want to eat better. Maybe um, it's about, you know, having one portion of broccoli um, this week even. And, you know, people might say, well, that's laugh peaceful. That's so achievable. The reason being, it needs to be so small that it's accessible to you because that means it's something that's going to be able to fit in with your complex lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you're going to be able to sustain. But the problem is we'll come along and we'll say, well, I'm going to eat 10 portions of fruit and veg every day without actually having built our skills around how do I want to have those veg? What are the veg that I actually like? What are the recipes that I could use that I could, um, you know, have them? Where can I access them? 
So the, the importance of starting small is that it's more likely that we'll actually engage in that. And there's an interesting study where they got people to um, create flossing habits. And instead, they had one group where they got them to floss their teeth every night. And then they had another group where they asked them just to floss one tooth every night. Um, and the one tooth group were the ones that actually were most likely to successfully maintain their flossing habits. And that's because it was such a low barrier to entry, you know, and then in, in behavior change, we talk a lot about friction. You know, we don't want to make it hard to engage. We want to make it as easy as possible to engage those healthy habits. And those one floss tooth people or one of tooth flossing people, they um, had made it easy as possible because once they were there, it almost felt like a joke. Oh, well, I might as well floss a few more teeth. Right. Um, you know, while I'm here, but that's what it's about. And so they didn't end up punishing themselves for not flossing all of their teeth. They felt like they were successful because they flossed more than they originally promised themselves to do. And so it's not like, you know, it's instead of meditating for 20 minutes a day or putting yourself under pressure, maybe it's just meditating for three minutes a day. And then, you know, while you're there, if you're enjoying it, stick with it. But if it feels like too much, you know, scale it back. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I always say to people is, you know, Start out and ask yourself, what's the smallest step I can take this week towards my healthy habits? And then ask yourself, on a scale of zero to 100, how likely is it this time next week that I'll be still carrying this out? And that's a way to check in with yourself. Because if, you, if you've set yourself a goal and you're thinking, wow, okay, next week, by next, this time next week, I'm going to be still executing on this goal. And you're starting to think about all the things that are going to happen during your week. Okay, maybe it's not going to happen for me. So maybe I need to scale it back. Um, and then I often say to people, well, let, why don't you scale it from zero to 100 with could your most exhausted self be still carrying this out a week from now? Mm -hmm. And if you're not at least 70 percent constant or more, then you need to make it easier. So if you said you're going to go for like a 40 minute run, maybe it's a 20 minute run and anything over that is a bonus. And maybe if you said you're going to go three times this week, maybe it's just once this week. And if the other two times happen, that's all a bonus. But you start to look at what you gain rather than what you lose or what you haven't done. And that's what actually helps spur both your motivation to stick with your goals. And interestingly, um, and it's, I can speak to you if, if you're interested in, it also spurs um, a dopamine response, so a positive response in your brain. So it yeah. makes it more likely that you'll actually stick with that habit starting out. Yeah, because is that the reward mechanism that is spurred on? And like we're driven by reward, right? So I guess, yeah, talk more about that and why that's important and using that to our advantage. Because I think sometimes too, it can be used to our disadvantage when we're mm, so frustrated, sure. right? And then we like fall back into those old habits. Some of those old habits that we hate also are simulating a reward, right? Like that's the power of addictions and things like that. Can you just mm. talk more about that? And how- Yeah, and I, I love how you say that. So like things like, you know, Certain potato chips are engineered to give us that dopamine response. Mm -hmm. Certain sweets are engineered to give us a dopamine response. Our phones are engineered to give us that dopamine response. And yet when it comes to our healthy habits, we start out and we get pick the most boring things right. that we can find. <laughs> or we go to the gym and we're like, right, I'm going to have to do the Stairmaster because it's the most punishing or yeah. hardest thing, you know? Um, or we berate ourselves for, you know, like I say, you know, only eating one portion of vegetables rather than eating three. And every time we do that, we're not telling our brain that this is something I want to engage with. We're telling our brain this is something that's hard. It's difficult. I don't want to engage with it. And that's not actually useful if we want to create habits. 
Um, so one thing that's really, really important when it comes to habit change is actually one, finding activities and things that you like, and then two, looking at activating that dopamine response. So the first thing is, and it's a really interesting study, there's um, a really famous habits researcher in the US called um, Kathy Milkman. She wrote a brilliant book recently called How to Change. And um, they did a study where they asked people um, to choose the exercise that they thought was most beneficial or uh, the food that they thought was most beneficial or the ones that they felt was healthy, but they enjoyed them, they would enjoy the most. And they found that those that were sustaining their habits not the ones that pick the beneficial ones. So, you know, pounding the treadmill or going for a run, but those that actually chose those um, movements or healthy foods that they actually enjoyed. And um, they were the ones that were sustaining it most. So I'd say anyone starting on a healthy habit journey, one of the first things I always say to people is um, create a joy list. Mm. So what are the healthy habits that you actually enjoy? Because there is no point in pounding the pavement or running on the treadmill, if it's something that you hate, because you're not going to engage with it. The healthy habits that you enjoy are the healthy habits that you stick with. So is it a dance class? Is it something that you're having fun with? Because if you can create that feeling of fun, you're going to get more positive dopamine response. The second way to do this, and this is really interesting, and it comes from research from BJ Fogg, who wrote a book called Tiny Habits, yeah. absolutely brilliant. And um, he talks about immediately rewarding yourself after you perform your habits. So say your habit is to, and I keep looking down because I've got my glass of water here, but um, say your habit is to drink more water. Every time you engage in that habit, you need to create what he calls this feeling of shine instantly. So it needs to be instant because our brains recognize something as good instantly. So you need those potato chips. You tend to feel good instantly. Right. Later on, you start to feel a bit crap, you know, but um so the thing is, we want to create that feeling of shine. And what shine is, is this feeling of, um, he gives a lovely example, actually, when parents are teaching their baby to walk for the first time and the baby walks and the parents clap and it looks around and thinks, oh, this is something good to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do this again. And they call dopamine the learning hormone. It's like a pat on the back. And so it tells your brain there's something good to do. Let's engage with it. Shine's like the feeling when your your team wins the league or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you, you just see you're having a laugh with your friends or anything that gives you that lovely positive feeling you see sports stars do this you know when they celebrate after they you know they score a basket or whatever it happens to be but we want to feel that feeling immediately on demand after 30 to 60 seconds immediately after we perform our habit and um, with exercise often we get that because we get the serotonin lift um, of engaging with exercise but for other healthy habits we need to often create that and so it's important um, to do that. So say your habit is to drink more water. Each time you have a glass of water and you put it down, you need to think about a celebration that might work for you. Mm-hmm. So it might be, you know, singing a Rihanna song in your head, or it might be doing a drum roll on your on your desk or drawing a smiley face on your to-do list. Or it might be just putting your hand on your heart and saying, I'm someone who follows through with my goals. I'm being kind to myself. I'm taking care. Whatever type of celebration you choose, it doesn't matter. What matters is you genuinely feel good immediately after you've engaged with a habit because it tells your brain, this is something good to do. This makes me feel good. Let's do this again and again. And you'll have to do that forever. It's just until, you know, you start to feel like it's becoming a habit. And what it does is it fast tracks your healthy habit success because then your brain's like, right, I want to do that feel good thing again. Where did, where was that glass of water? You know, your brain starts looking for it and it starts to key you into it. So something that everyone can do 
it can often feel awkward about celebrating. It's it's a bit strange, you know, but um, over time, actually, you'll find that actually it makes you feel good. And, you know, change is already hard and it's even harder if you're being hard on yourself about it. So why make it any harder? If we know celebrating can fast track our success, then engage with the type of celebration, you know, that works for you. Some people do physical movements. Some people like to you know, high five themselves, whatever is your favorite of celebration, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you feel good on demand. And and that goes for your healthy habits in general. You know, when we're feeling good, we want to engage. Mm. That's why berating ourselves, being hard on ourselves and, and having that negative self-talk around our habits is not going to help us stick. We think that that self-criticism is what keeps us on track. It is absolutely not what keeps us on track. Actually, that's what's going to be more likely to lead us to failure. We need to self-promote we need to self-assure we need to self-celebrate and we need to actually help ourselves see all of the good that we're doing yeah yeah so when you go to those places where you're like you know negative self-talk and you're just putting yourself down all the time does your body as a way to rebalance itself naturally seek out a dopamine hit to create rebalance like does that because you know a lot of people who are in those negative places trying to beat themselves up in order to achieve something, they're the ones more likely to fall into the addiction, to fall into needing the sugar and, you know, eating the foods that they know that they shouldn't. Is that a biological response that your body is trying to like, basically, will your body find a reward regardless of if you're, if you're rewarding yourself or not, I guess is the question. Mm. I think it's interesting. Like I could speak to from a psychological point of view that, um, it's, it's actually less about rewarding, but more about kind of numbing emotions, mm. um, you know, and, and people seek out that like comfort because they maybe haven't felt like that behavior is rewarded. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing is that we we look at food, we look at alcohol, we look at substances um, and we look at kind of, you know, engaging in like TV or right. getting lost in our phones or, or social media as a way to numb things because we're, we, you know, as a, a kind of a reward and um, because we don't actually truly know how to deal with those particular cravings. Um, and that's often because we actually can't understand our physical hungers. And I, and I talk about physical hunger or craving, not just in food related, but like emotional related and um, from our emotional, our emotional craving. So, um, there's a beautiful exercise that can help us train this. Um, and it's developed by Dr. Kristen Neff, who's an amazing self-compassion uh, researcher. And then um, she um, she calls it a, a self-care check-in. And, and, and this is about actually cultivating that intuition where you know the difference between numbing uh, versus what kind of hunger are you trying to feed at that time? And she doesn't put it in that way, but I've kind of put my own twists on it. But it's about asking yourself through throughout the day, what do I need in this moment to nourish myself? Because none of those activities are actually inherently nourishing because they don't allow us to get into a flow state and they don't nourish our mind or our bodies, but they're a numb state activity. Mm. And so, you know, you can ask yourself in moments of strife or moments of struggle, or you can just ask yourself multiple times a day if you really want to cultivate this inner intuition, which is, okay, well, what do I need to nourish myself right now? And it may be that you've been on back-to-back Zooms all day and actually just need to have a break and have a glass of water. Or it might be that you haven't eaten anything today, so you actually need to go and have a nourishing snack. Or it might be that you have an emotional need at that time. You're feeling a bit emotionally vulnerable. And actually learning what helps nourish you emotionally is very, very important. So is it, you know, journaling? Is it 
doing a two-minute breathing exercise? Is it going outside and just looking at a tree or listening to birds or playing with your pet or your child? Um, understanding how to nourish yourself emotionally outside of actually con- consumption is very, very important, but it's a skill to be developed. Or maybe it's even, you know, that actually you need social nourishment. So if you haven't spoken to someone that day and you're feeling a bit lonely and that's what's triggering you, what are the things that you can develop? What are the tools that you can have in your toolkit that actually helps support you when you need that social connection? Is it about ringing your grandmother? Is it about, you know, sending a gratitude letter to a friend or a gratitude text? Is it about, you know, going out to your local coffee shop and just having a conversation with a stranger? Um, the, the key thing is that we actually just tend to focus on trying to nourish ourselves physically rather than actually thinking about, well, what are our social, emotional and mental needs? Maybe it's just that you need to watch a funny YouTube clip or, um, you know, your favourite favorite comedy um, to nourish you right now. But I think it's very, very important that we reach for these kind of so-called rewards that actually aren't actually rewarding because we don't actually know how to nourish our emotional and our social or our mental well-being um, in the right way. So, and, and again, these are things to, these are habits to be developed. So I would say go off, but experiment. Mm-hmm. Just like you experiment with the type of celebration you can have, experiment with, well, what does actually nourish my emotional needs? You know, what is it that I'm craving right now? And that's why journaling can be so wonderful because it can really help you actually understand that or you could just write down words that are coming to mind when when you feel um, triggered and then just start to experiment you know is it meditation is it breath work is it having a cup of tea is it playing with your pet you know whatever it happens to be um it's important that we actually look outside of those kind of constant rewards that we seek and actually look at how we can actually look after our social our emotional and our mental health yeah I mean, you're just showing that health is so much more than just what we put in our body and how we move. It's it's the whole picture of health and really just our mindsets based on how we're thinking about things can change our entire biology. So as we kind of start this new year and we start to really create change at last, what are a couple of things that you hope that people stop doing and a few things that you hope people start doing? You know, like what are the things oh, that are hurting question. us and what are a few things that are really helping us that you see in this space? Oh, wonderful question. Gosh, how long have you got? Oh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I think that we need to focus less on goals and focus more on habits. Mm. Um, goals are just single points in time, mm-hmm. you know, and goals are very easy to make and they're very easy to break and they put us under unnecessary pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we think about it, you know, if your goal is a particular number on a scales or a gene size, you know, when you get there, what happens next? Right. Well, you set another goal mm-hmm. and you put yourself under more pressure to get there. And that's often when we fall off track. Mm-hmm. But if we set habits, habits are more like the processes. They're more about like how, what the life you want to live each day, what you want your days to look like. They're more about finding what works for you in the complexity of your life, not doing something for other people or, like I said before, extrinsic reasons. And so I would say to people, you know, let's let's focus on creating less goals and more focus on, on creating habits. So what are those things that we can do each day to nourish ourselves, to understand ourselves better? And actually, I think one key thing is to stop looking like looking at health like a finish line to be crossed. 
you know, it, it's a lifestyle to be lived. It's not something that can be achieved in three months. This is the, for the rest right. of your life. So any of those habits that you're going to adopt have to fit your life. So give yourself the space to experiment with them, to find what works for you, because it's not about, you know, six weeks to six pack or, or success. This is six years, 60 years, whatever, you know, it's the rest of your life. And so any habit that you want to adopt, you want to ask yourself, well, what will this look like in six years from from now? You know, what, how will my future self be able to carry on this habit? Um, so I'd absolutely say to people, you know, consider habits, not goals. Consider the smallest, the tiniest steps that they can take towards that rather than actually expecting these large transformational shifts, because if that's happening, it's actually normally quite a red flag mm. for you. And actually it means it's more likely that you'll be unsuccessful long-term, you know, and start to appreciate more about yourself. Start to appreciate all of those small, tiny little things that you've done. And maybe this is about having a check-in with yourself when you get to midday and when you get to the end of your workday and actually having a bit of a recall, you know, and asking yourself, well, what have I done today so far to take care of myself? And you'd be surprised at all the little things that you might've done. And that actually just, trains your brain to attend to those positive things that you've done and makes it more likely that your brain will look out for positive opportunities in the future um, and the final thing then I would say is um, kind of circling back to what we talked about is the importance of joy mm. like you know health is to be enjoyed and it's health is there so you can enjoy your life and get more out of it and so I think it's really, really important that when we are adopting healthy habits to ask ourselves, well, what are the healthy dishes I enjoy? How can I make, you know, meal prep more enjoyable for, for myself? Can I watch my favorite online series? Can I listen to my favorite podcast? Um, how can I make my healthy habits more enjoyable? Can I do them with someone that I enjoy spending time with? Um, and then, you know, can I choose activities that actually bring me joy as well? Um, and then the more we focus on joy, the more it becomes easy and the more likely are we are to get that positive dopamine response and the more likely we are to actually engage with this. Um, and, and I suppose like something I said at the top of this um, podcast, I think is very important is that we need to stop looking for that secret sauce and, and recognize that, you know, we are the secret sauce, yeah. you know, the skills and the power um, is within us. And it's just about unlocking those skills through taking those small steps through cultivating joy through being kinder to ourselves and actually celebrating our wins and that's what's going to lead to our long-term success so do you think you can think yourself healthy without fixating on food or exercise like do you great question yeah go ahead yeah 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 no um no tell me more what what else you can say sometimes I just think like we have such a fascination with diet and exercise and Mm. weight loss. And I'm like, sometimes do, are we just circulating around the problem? Um, when there's so much more to live for, like if we just focused on being more joyful in life and living for our passions and do you feel like health will follow that? Um, or do you feel like we still have to take that like very active role in, and changing our relationship with our health? I mean, obviously that's going to be there. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you change your habits and your other, and the other aspects of your life, do you feel like health will follow that? Yeah, I think this is such a profound question. Like, um, so we all think, okay, when I get to X weight or I'm, you know, able to lift X weight or I'm able to cycle so far, I'm going to run so far, I'm going to be happy. 
Um, and, and that's what's going to sort all my problems for my life. Um, but it's the opposite way, right? Yeah. We have to find happiness first. And, and that's what all the studies have shown. And if we can work on our own internal happiness, we start to realize, oh, maybe I'm eating the wrong things because I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I'm not exercising because I've got no energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'm not giving my space to meditate because I'm actually so overtired or so overworked. Maybe I'm staying up late at night because I haven't got enough, giving myself enough headspace during the day. Mm -hmm. We start to recognize actually that things aren't contributing towards our happiness. And what we think makes us happy isn't necessarily what makes us happy. So I think you're absolutely right. And the answer is in the question. We need to start with happiness first. Mm -hmm. And we even found in one of our studies that we had um, two um, weight loss groups. And one of the groups focused on diet and exercise information alone. And they weren't allowed to look at any psychological information, things like mindfulness, how to deal with temptations, things like positive self-talk that we talked about today, things like gratitude. They weren't allowed to look at any of that. They just changed their diets and they changed, they tried to increase their physical activity. And then we had another group that looked at all those psychological factors. They looked at boosting their self-esteem, boosting their confidence. They looked at mindfulness. They looked at gratitude. They looked at how to bounce back after failures. They looked at how they talked about themselves. Both groups lost the same amount of weight, um, but the psychological group didn't do anything to change their diet or their yeah. exercise. Mm-hmm. What they worked on was their happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing was when they got to a happier place, they felt like they were more motivated to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. They were more motivated to uh, um, engage in movement. They started to understand, like I said before, what it takes to nourish themselves. And nourishment isn't just about food it's about exercise it's about your thoughts it's about what you feed your mind your body your soul and so yeah absolutely I think it's such a beautiful question it's got to be happiness first yeah this work is so fascinating and at the same time I feel like it is so liberating and freeing to say you know like we are supposed to enjoy our lives and live our lives and and the result of that is great things um, with our health. We just have it backwards, right? Like we flip the equation on its head and we're frustrated and it's not working. And this is truly a, a healthy path that does work. So I know we're running out of time, but what's one like at this, we're at the start of the year, the start of a new series. Like what is that one thing that you would encourage people who are listening to the show to take with them and remember and use in their everyday life? I would say be kind mm. be kind to yourself and and it kind of goes back to what I said but um you know you're trying your best and you're trying to take care of yourself and and in and, and recognizing all the good that you do it's only going to spur you on to want to engage more and then what they found in studies is that those that have the most self-compassion they're the most likely to stick with their goals they're the most likely to eat healthily they're the most likely to exercise more They're the most likely to bounce back best after failure. So actually by cultivating this kindness, you're actually much more likely to be, um, to stay on track long-term. A lot of people think that self-compassion, self-care, whatever you want to call it, is selfish. And it's going to mean that they're going to lay on the couch all day and just, you know, watch TV and eat pizza. But actually, it's, it's actually what keeps you on track. So I would say examine that inner critic and can you turn that inner critic into an inner coach? Because that's going to really help spur action. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you said self-compassion, because I think sometimes even self-care can be another means of like a fancy word for still beating your body into submission, you know, like thinking like if I could do all this, but like when you add the self-compassion part in there, 
it brings uh. that from like this external focus on another thing you have to do to like, how can I just feel myself? Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I love how you said that. And like you say, actually, I think that's so important. It's like the, the thing about self-compassion is about, it's about internally what you need rather than externally what your output needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's more about actually tuning into your body. Like, you know, sometimes the healthiest thing one day is to not go for a run right. because that's not what you need right now. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the ability to actually understand that and recognize that, that should be celebrated. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's very, very important to um, focus on that. Like you say, that internal self-compassion and learn what works for you rather than doing things because, you know, so-and-so has X morning routine and that's what you've been told is, yeah. is the yeah. best thing when you must you know emulate that it's about actually like you know the beauty of this journey into health is about learning to be your own best mm-hmm. friend and learning what works best for you and then if you start to listen you know those answers will come mm-hmm. yeah and and like you like you said like if we listen then over the course of time as our life change and we evolve and you know this is a lifestyle it's for the rest of our life we're going to have to be flexible in what we do and our needs are going to change mm-hmm. and so developing that skill now at the start of the year is lasting, um, forever. You've been such a wealth of knowledge. I feel like I could listen to you talk all day and learn from you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I hope to have you on again, but can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and the work that you do? Because it is really life-changing. Thanks, Alexa. I had such a fun time and I love your questions as well. I'm just like, ask me more. Um, so you can find out more. Actually, I've got, so I've just released a free five-day challenge and it's a video challenge. It's really fun. So it's all like the evidence-based kind of tools condensed into five days of free videos. And that's at um, bitesizehabits.co, so .co. So bitesizehabits.co. And people can go on there and it's absolutely free and you can just, you know, it's a really great way to kind of kickstart your habits of the new year. It's all the evidence-based tools that you need to really kind of get your habits off to a really supportive start. Um, and yeah, a really fun kind of making that video series. So I think that might be a great place for people to get started. Yeah. And I'll make sure and link that up in the show notes. I think just all these little reminders that we can of like shifting our attention and our energy from these external things that we've invested so much time into and back onto things that are evidence-based things that, you know, work things that are actually going to make you happy and fulfilled and the external results will follow too. So yeah, check that out. I'll make sure and link it up in the show notes. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Heather, for being here and sharing your information. It has truly been an honor. Thank you. I just love this podcast episode and honestly, this series. Because what I want to do is break the norms that health is all about the food that you eat and how you move your body. Yes, those things matter. And we're going to talk about them in this series called Health Reimagined. But I first want to lay the groundwork that your mind is potentially the most critical element in the health because your mind changes how your biology reacts. Not to mention, like she said in the podcast, if you don't enjoy what you do, you're probably not going to stick to it long term. And I love that happiness precedes health every single time, and the research proves that, even though that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. But what if, like, what if we could actually create a lifestyle where we're seeking happiness, knowing that our happiness will produce health? I mean, pretty incredible, right? 
Over at The Living Well, I wrote a blog post to go along with this episode on how to create happiness before health and why that matters. So check that out at thelivingwell.com. And don't forget, Heather is hosting a five-day class on how to kickstart your healthy habits and start making lasting changes to your health. That can be found at bitesizedhabits.co. Again, I'll link that up in the show notes. Check out all that Dr. McKee has to offer. And I want to encourage you to learn more about Dr. McKee, what she's doing, and the amazing research that she's come across that will help you create change that lasts. Okay, that's it for today's show. Next week, we're coming back on with another mindset topic with the founder of Muse, the powered meditation and sleep tool. And we're going to learn all about why she started this company and really the power of meditation in our own life and Honestly, it doesn't look like what you think it looks. I mean, I had my mind blown in this episode numerous times, and it gave me a breath of fresh air in regards to meditation, something that I have never really got myself to do. But after this show, I've learned so much more about and actually have started practicing it. Okay, so come back next week to check that out. But for now, go back and listen to episode number 244, which kicked off this episode, and then follow along for more episodes in this series called Health Reimagined. I hope that you have a wonderful week and you implement this strategy into your own life. Okay, we'll be back here next week.